Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from A Place of Shadows, written by Cage Booten. A Voice from Beyond the Grave Returning to the U.S. from London, Leneth found herself enmeshed in a web of horrification and terror at Hill House, site of happy childhood memories. Home of her best friend Lisa, always so laughing and gay. Lisa, her dearest friend. Lisa, who had urged Leneth Forrester to come to the luxurious mansion known as Hill House. Lisa, who was already in her grave when Leneth arrived. Leneth could not believe what they said about Lisa. Lisa was too vital, too alive to have died by her own hand. Then, as the door to the walk-in safe closed behind her, Leneth heard Lisa's voice, seemingly from beyond the grave. But not the Lisa she thought she knew, for now Lisa seemed all that was evil, and Leneth was caught in her spell. "'You are going to die here,' I heard myself say, but of course there was no one to hear. The door to this black and airless place had slammed shut behind me, shoved by an unknown hand. I desperately tried to open it, my nails scraping on the cold steel, though even as I struggled I knew it was hopeless. The lock had snapped shut. I did not even bother to scream, for I knew the door was soundproof. Yet even so, in my mind it seemed I could hear the sound of laughter. Lisa's laughter. Lisa, who had lured me here. Lisa, who would now have company in the grave. And now for your listening pleasure. An excerpt from A Place of Shadows. Chapter 1 The moment I saw her, I knew I would like her. The moment I met her, I knew I would love her. As if we were sisters, I had often thought. But never, in all the years that followed, had I ever said that out loud. Nor had I later ever written it. What do you care? Why don't you leave me alone? Why do you care what I do? She had screamed that at me once, and in my emotionally tongue-tied way I could not put it into words even then. But I had stubbornly hauled her away from that moonless beach party with its abundance of bottles and lack of food, with its silent clinging couples, and coaxing, threatening, pleading, had dragged her back to the dorm, to the showers, grimly holding her there until at last she sullenly consented to coffee and sleep. And the next day, contrite, ashamed, she had thanked me, yet asking again, But why should you care? Why does it matter to you what I do? I had never been able to answer that, although in later years I had sometimes asked myself that same question. And now as the train began to slow for the stop beside that small upstate station house, I knew it did not matter anymore. We were young then, and it had all been so long ago. Everything was different now. No doubt Lisa had grown and changed with the years every bit as much as I had. About three minutes now, missus. I nodded and thanked the fat, perspiring conductor, then looked down again at the creased, smudgy letter in my lap. 
just a little while ago. Trying to recall exactly how long it had been since I'd last heard from Lisa, I had taken it from my handbag, unfolding the small square, looking for a date. But of course there had been no date. Lisa never dated anything. I had read the letter over again, and then laid it in my lap and watched it fold itself, falling loosely into the shape it had held for so many years. How many years? Six? Easily six. At least six. And when you come back, you must come to us immediately. Your room is always ready. Each of her infrequent letters to me had ended with those lines. Now, well, maybe I wasn't expected, but I did have an invitation. Six years old, but it was an invitation. Lisa would laugh when I showed her that old letter. Of course, darling, she would chuckle. But why didn't you write and let me know you were coming, say, a year or two ago? Then I'd have been ready for you. And she would smile up at me. I am too tall. And her deep, violet eyes would crinkle at the corners. Then she would link her arm through mine. Oh, I knew exactly how it would be. And we would wander through the big house and gardens, talking about those days at school. We'd laugh over the last year when she so mercilessly pursued her moody, talented Peter, and over the numerous hurried trips her guardian brother made down to school from Washington. Gazing through the open window, I smiled, and then I sighed. Poor Mike. So big and trim in that beribboned uniform of his. So efficient-looking with that straight, ungiving back that West Pointers always seem to have. And yet so bewildered, so helpless where Lisa was concerned. No wonder he had gone away feeling not so enthusiastic about that sensible Lineth Forrester's steadying influence on his gay, impulsive sister as he had in the beginning. The train came grinding to a stop. The fat conductor waddled to the front of the car with my bag, and I picked up Lisa's letter, slipping it into the deep pocket of my new gray linen. All these years, I thought, were all different now. Yet, and I did not realize it until I was eagerly clambering down the steps of the train to the platform. I was not so different as I had thought. For wasn't that happy sense of excitement growing the nearer I came to her? Wasn't I already smiling a little as I thought of what she would say, and what I would say as we got back to where we had left off? Hadn't it always been this way? Perhaps because of time and distance, she was no longer my closest friend, but she had been my very first, and was therefore the dearest to me. I had never forgotten her. I had thought of her often. And now, lugging my bag into the stifling little station house, it was exactly as it had always been. I was sure I could not wait out the next hour until I saw her again. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from A Place of Shadows. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.